It's Monday, February 28th. I'm Sarah Y. Kim. The state's positivity rate is now well below 3%. Mayor Scott will lift Baltimore's mask mandate Tuesday. And we'll have a rundown of which Maryland counties are lifting mask mandates and for what activities and places. Baltimore's Parks and Recreation will get over $40 million in ARPA funds. And the nursing profession is among those most affected by the past two years of this pandemic. We'll close out this month's series, Conversations with Black Women in Medicine, with a candid conversation with two deans and a graduating student of Coppin State University's nursing and professional health programs. It's The Daily Dose from WYPR, our latest reporting on Maryland's COVID-19 response and the local news of the day, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. COVID-19 hospitalizations in Maryland are below 400, according to state health officials. The last time they were that low was back in August. Meanwhile, Maryland's positivity rate is at 2.25 percent, 90 percent lower than what it was last month. Baltimore County Public School students will not have to wear masks on school buses tomorrow. WYPR's John Lee reports there has been confusion over whether lifting of the mask mandate in school buildings applies to the buses as well. The school system announced Friday that masks in schools will be optional beginning Tuesday. But over the weekend, social media erupted with parents asking the question, what about the buses? School spokesman Charles Herndon says they had to take a good look at the new CDC guidelines released Friday before deciding masks will be optional on the buses as well. Making sure that we were uh, consulting with our health professionals and that we could make uh, the best decision possible for the majority of students and staff here in Baltimore County Public Schools. Masks will still be required for those seeing the school nurse with COVID-like symptoms or coming off a quarantine of fewer than 10 days. School officials say bullying over whether students and staff are wearing a mask will not be tolerated. John Lee, WIPR News. Anne Arundel County lifted its mask mandate for students and staff on the county's public school buses today. The mask mandate will remain in effect, however, for all indoor facilities in the Anne Arundel District, including school health rooms and school-sponsored vaccination clinics. Indoor face masks are now no longer required in Prince George's County. County Executive Angela Alsabrooks decided to lift the indoor mask mandate because she said hospitalizations and the county's positivity rate have dropped substantially. Alsabrooks said last week that mandatory masking in the county's public schools will remain in place for now. Baltimore City's indoor mask mandate will lift tomorrow. The measure has been in effect for most of the coronavirus pandemic. Private businesses may continue to require masks, and city leaders say the lifted restriction does not mean the pandemic is over. Mayor Brandon Scott announced today that Baltimore City Recreation and Parks will receive $41 million in federal stimulus money to upgrade rec centers. WYPR's Emily Sullivan reports. Scott says that rec centers have been left out of recent infrastructure upgrades and that improving spaces for the city's youth will improve their outcomes. When you're making investments into Baltimore City Rec and Parks, you are building healthier communities, you are providing cleaner communities, and you for sure are helping to build public safety by providing those opportunities. Scott will allocate approximately $10 million for public pools and $20 million for rec center upgrades. Another $8 million will go to playgrounds, trails, and athletic fields. The Democrat will draw the money from Baltimore's $641 million American Rescue Plan Act stimulus, awarded for coronavirus relief efforts. About three-quarters of the money has been allocated. 
Emily Sullivan, WYPR News. Maryland controller Peter Francho is calling on the state pension system to divest from Russian companies and to avoid future investments in Russian entities. In a letter to the head of the pension system, Francho said holding on to those assets runs counter to Maryland's values. And he said it's a bad move financially. Since Russia invaded Ukraine last week, the investments have lost more than half their value, more than $100 million since February 18th. This morning, the Biden administration froze Russian central bank assets held in the United States. Montgomery County will no longer sell Russian-made alcohol. County Executive Mark Elrich issued a statement over the weekend stating all products from Russia have been removed. Elrich said that restaurants and bars in Montgomery County will no longer have access to ordering the products as well. Baltimore County police continue their investigation of the vandalism of some 49 headstones at St. Michael Ukrainian Catholic Cemetery in Dundalk. A police spokeswoman says there are no markings or drawings on the headstones to indicate a hate crime. But she acknowledges its timing with last week's invasion of Ukraine by Russia makes it difficult to ignore. Today, we close out Black History Month with our third installment of Conversations with Black Women in Medicine. Our executive editor, Danielle Irby, brings us her conversation with Dr. Tracy Murray, a professor, dean of the College of Health Professions and director of the health centers at Coppin State University, Dr. Danita Tolson, chair of Coppin's baccalaureate nursing education program, and Claudina Constantine, a nursing student graduating from Coppin State's nursing program in May. They open up about building up the nursing and professional health programs at this HBCU and how the past two years of this pandemic have forged greater creativity and resilience. Hello, ladies, Dr. Tracy Murray, Dr. Danita Tolson, and Claudina Constantine. Thank you for joining me. Greetings. Thank you for having us. Thank you. All right, let's jump right into it. Dr. Tracy Murray, I'm going to start with you. Now, I know this is a loaded question, but if you could encapsulate, what has the past two years teaching and running Coppin State University's nursing program been like under this pandemic? Thank you so much for the question. And I just want to say that during this period of time, it has been transformative. It has been a valuable learning experience for us all. It's also included uh, grief, death, and periods of rays of hope and insight. So I wanna say that because the pandemic began on March 11, 2020, which happens to be my birthday, that we look at the year 2020 as perfect vision. And that vision allowed us at Coppin State University to do things that we had not done before, like a complete conversion to online or synchronous learning within a two week period of time. We also continue to see the resilience and the grit of our students and the determination to be nurses and to go into the healthcare workforce and willingness to help, wanting to help, wanting to be involved. And among our faculty members, our staff and our students, right away, we have committed ourselves to uh, vaccination, um, including COVID and also flu vaccines, working within the community and increasing synergy with 
many of our community stakeholders to try to do our part within West Baltimore, not just for education, but also within our community so that we can have success and what success looks like. In 2021 for us, we feel it's more like reveal. What it reveals about us as we continue to endure throughout this process. And in 2022, we still have not forgotten the pandemic is with us, but we try to continue to figure out how we're going to move forward using all of the modalities that we've learned for education from face-to-face, synchronous, online, and whatever new modalities are still out there that have not been challenged so that we can meet the needs of our students. And I like what you said about what is success uh, going to look like. So I'd like to turn our to our soon-to-be graduating nursing student, Claudina Constantine. Tell me a bit about your journey as a nursing student, why you chose to become a nurse, and how you feel about entering this profession that is uh, now facing a severe shortage and has really been under tremendous stress due to the uh, coronavirus pandemic. My journey as a nursing student has been very challenging and interesting at the same time. Um, I will start with the reason why I chose to become a nurse. I chose to become a nurse because I wanted to make a difference in many people's lives. I wanted to see people get better in the difficult times. I wanted, I wanted to be the person there to, um, to see them transform from being ill and not feeling their best to being happy again. And being that there's a shortage in nursing and I'm soon to be graduating, I want to be the nurse that's going to stand the test, um, be the be the one that's different, because uh, I know that the pandemic has had a, like a negative impact on a lot of people where they, the desire to be, to be a nurse is not there anymore, but I'm still thrilled about it. I'm still intrigued to become a nurse because I want to make that impact. And um, I just wanted to continue to show others that despite what's going on, you can still continue to pursue your dream and still continue to impact many other people's lives. Well, I'm glad to hear that you're still thrilled and looking forward to it when you come out. Do you know what you're going to be doing yet upon graduation? My plan is to work the ER for two years. Wow. And then go get my master's in either education or because I'm not too sure what I want to do as like to get my master's in but I'm looking towards education um so yeah and then after that I want to go to CRNA school because I always wanted to become a nurse anesthetist well it sounds like they've done a good job preparing you at at Coppin so I want to turn it to Dr. Danita Tolson uh, as chair of the baccalaureate nursing program there tell me a bit about the program and how it's preparing students for the unique challenges and uh, some of the staff shortages that we talked about and the stress uh, created by this pandemic <laughs> thank you thank you again for having us um, well, I'd like to start off first with saying we have four programs to traditional to accelerate the RN to BSN and the dual enrollment. Um, and all the programs joined together um, to fight the pandemic. Um, to tell you a little bit about the program, the accelerated programs, 15 months, the, the traditional is for two years and the RN to BSN is one year. And then we have a dual enrollment that is 1.5 years. Um, who we work with the community colleges in the um, local areas. When the pandemic started, we started a model for our students to get 
clinical hours. We work with um, Baltimore City Health Department um, to fight the pandemic. We knew that students needed their clinical hours. Many of the hospitals um, were denying the colleges and universities um, for coming into the hospital because they feared students getting COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so we developed a model um, where students could work with Baltimore City Health Department to do the COVID vaccines. Um, and they, they started right when, you know, um, they got the vaccines. So they were in this healthcare where war uh, with everyone else practicing and doing everything that um, nurses would do, like injections, delegating, communicating, documenting. Some of them were put in the role of charge nurse where they were supervised by their um, faculty member. And it also provided them the opportunity of professionalism. Students were also able to work in a health suite. We're still doing COVID um, vaccinations and flu shots um, and also doing the COVID um, tests. So we haven't stopped. We are trying to provide the ultimate experience for our nursing students because we realize that they have to be better than a lot of the PWIs and some of the other um, areas. PWIs, that's predominantly white institutes. Mm -hmm. So please realize that we do not get as much funding as the PWIs, but we make it work. We have strong faculty, exceptional faculty that don't stop at nine to five jobs. Um, they work on the weekends, they work after five o'clock to nurture and coach our students. We've developed models to help our students to be successful for the NCLEX mm -hmm. um, on the first attempt because that, that's what really matters. If they pass on the first attempts, it helps to keep our board scores up. Right. Um, right. So we, we have restructured our curriculum. We have to be better than all the rest. That's what we strive to do um, with Dr. Mary and the faculty. Yeah, well, I'm glad you touched on that um, because I want to turn to Dr. Mary. You talked about uh, just the... Um, the racial makeup, the fact that uh, traditionally HBCUs don't get as much money as other colleges and universities that are non-HBCUs. So I want to turn to Dr. Mary because uh, Claudina, your nursing student, seems like she has a lot of options uh, upon graduation. She can continue her education there. And uh, I understand that Coppin offers the only fully accredited BS in health and information management in the state. And it also recently started a Master of Science in Health Information Management. So Dr. Mary, can you talk a little bit about the significance of those programs, particularly at an HBCU? Well, I think it's amazing that in this case, under the leadership of the chairperson, Dr. Mona Calhoun, that this program has continued to thrive. But it is important because the community needs to see that historically black institutions are more than qualified to prepare individuals at the baccalaureate and also at the master's level to be healthcare practitioners, full value practitioners in this partnership to provide the critical skills necessary and also agencies to protect the healthcare information, the privacy, the security. They also focus on medical coding and also more importantly, how hospitals and organizations bring money into their organization. Uh, they look at compliance aspects, data science and data, data analysis. We have prepared individuals who at the macro and the micro levels understand information. They're also very trusted 
because they're trusted because they're keeping the information, our healthcare information, which is important to us, they help to keep it protected. They improve healthcare quality, improve the efficiency and effectiveness of patient care, reduce administrative costs, and they engage patients to learn about how they can access healthcare. And we see that a lot with the electronic health records, but more importantly, that your healthcare record can be at the touch of your finger and you can get it through your phone, but you know that the portals are staying secured. So this is value added to African-American communities, communities of color, but more importantly, because the students can go as graduates, get gainful employment, they can work at a place, but more importantly, they also, with health information management, can be business owners as well. So it, it looks at the full collective of these students. And I wanna go back to Claudine. We also doctor, we have a doctoral program here at Coppice State University, and I wanna encourage her and all people to go on to get their master's and their doctorate level in nursing. Yeah, and I wanna go back to something that uh, Dr. Tolson touched on and, and you mentioned a little bit. I've been talking to a number of uh, medical professionals this month on the dose, and I keep hearing the, uh, the topic of health equity and racial equity in the health space. What does that mean? Well, from my perspective, health equity is a long way to come. You know, we have so much more that we're going to need to do as it relates to health equity. And COVID is a good example. I think it helped to illuminate the fact that we have some issues in health equity. Do we have the providers that we need in our communities? Look at the area like behavioral health. We know that we have deserts. If you look at the uh, West Baltimore, I'm gonna say, for example, the individuals have chronic diseases such as high blood pressure, diabetes, you know, heart disease, many other illness, food resources are a problem, pharmacies are issues. And we know that 80% of the health issues that people have are looking at your environment, where you live, our communities are more predictive than if we even go to the physician. It's, you know, we want to go to the physician, we want to go to the nurse practitioner, but the environments where we live, the services that we can readily get, the quality of what we can have, not just the typical health we think like going to a hospital, but the, our daily life and wellness is what is most impactful for our overall trajectory of our lifespan and our quality of health mm-hmm. and our quality of life. Right. Dr. Tolson, do you uh, uh, have anything to add to that? Well, what I would add, um, example also what Dr. Mary was, I wanted to pick it back on what she said, when the pandemic started, we had to fight to get um, the COVID vaccines for minority individuals. So we were um, um, advocating for a way that they could get, because many of them maybe didn't have computers or access to go on and register for the COVID vaccines. So that was um, one avenue, but we advocated for other avenues that would provide minority individuals to get the COVID vaccine. Many times in the line, we saw predominantly Caucasian individuals and we heard the minorities not being afforded that same opportunity. So, you know, I just was asking back then that you know, make it equal for everyone, um, you know, not just for one particular race. Right, right. You know, I have a question that comes up in a lot of professions and particularly amongst the medical profession. Is there a huge salary range of what a nurse can make depending on what type of degree you come out with or where you go to work? 
and practice? I'm going to say that right now the range is, it is changing. And in that change, we have found with the pandemic that, you know, some nurses go through agencies and they're making maybe between $80 an hour, or you have nurse practitioners who can make somewhere between $100 or $200 an hour because the services are definitely needed. But beyond that, though, look at those outcomes. The healthcare providers and nurse, especially nurses and nurse practitioners have always provided excellent outcomes, and it's a very trusted profession. Mm-hmm. Um, the entry salary for nurses might be somewhere between like sixty-six to 75000 for a BSN nurse, but within one year afterwards, many of them are, with, are within the six figures because most of them may work three 12-hour shifts. They will go on to start working through an agency or even through these travel assignments. And I understand even the travel assignments, some people say, you know, like within a short period of time, within a 12-week period of time, they are making a good salary. And I want to say this, what I do find in the legislature currently, I know that they're trying to, there's some bill that they're looking at to cap the salary of nurses. And I find that very um, interesting because nursing mostly is a women, typically has been more women dominated. We do obviously have men and we want more men to join. But the point is, they did not target any other discipline to talk about capping. And I think that, you know, as women, we need to be empowered and we need to encourage if the market allows for the salary, they should get the salary that is commanded by the market and there should be no caps on any disciplines. Sure. And uh, one other barrier, you know, that's among many for a lot of black students to uh, matriculate out of a four year program is the cost and the idea of being saddled with so much debt coming out of undergrad. Are there many programs and grants and you know scholarships available to help students get through a nursing program such as yours? Absolutely. You know, Coppin State University's um, tuition is the lowest out of all the programs within the University System of Maryland and also the lowest out of all of the four-year institutions throughout. You will find that a student that goes here, if they stayed here for like their tuition fees and also room and board, it ends up being somewhere like about $8,000, I think, per semester, a maximum $16,000 per year. They are also giving scholarship monies to students in the fall and the spring. I know this semester people got $1,200 fall. They'll probably get that in the spring also. Uh, but there are, there are through Pell Grants, through scholarships. The President Jenkins has a, um, there's an Eagle Scholar, there's a Presidential Scholar. We recognize academic pursuit, and we want to make sure that all students have a chance to excel. And also through HRSA and other uh, local agencies, there are monies available for nurses. At the master's level, individuals may find that there is through the nursing support program, there's monies if they decide to go and teach, come back to do some teaching, there's monies through the Cohen Scholarship for nurses, and then they can get uh, that almost free nearly free education if they agree to at least to teach for two or three years after they finish their master's or doctoral program. That's great. So I'm going to close out with a young lady who's going to be on the front lines and uh, graduating in May, Claudina Constantine. So first, let me say an early congratulations. So do you have any final thoughts as you're about to enter into your profession? I want to say that I will be confident when I go out to when I go out in the field when I start to work because our professors push us to do the best that we can. Not only do they care about our academics, but they care about us as individuals and our well-being. Um, I appreciate the program specifically because 
it challenges us and it allows us to see what our true potential is. And um, I think all of us here at Coppin State, especially in the nursing program, appreciate our professors as well because we all come together and realize that all that we go through as a group, it just allow, allows us to be the best that we can be collectively. We're here for each other. The professors are here for us too. They are they are our parents here at Coppin State because they support us emotionally. They ensure that we are doing well and they continue to encourage us throughout the program here at Coppin State. So not only am I confident, but I'm also sure that I'll be confident in my skill that I've acquired here at Coppin State University. Well, thank you for that. And I can't think of a better note to end this conversation on. So Dr. Tracy Murray, Dr. Danita Tolson, and Claudina Constantine, thank you for taking time out for The Daily Dose. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. We're always happy to hear from you, and we'll be here for you again on Wednesday. The Daily Dose is brought to you by WIPR, made possible by GBMC Healthcare. Big thanks to my news team colleagues, Rachel Bay, Don Lee, Joel McCord, Emily Sullivan, and Callan Tanzel Sutton. Our digital content director is Jamila Krempel, and our general manager is LaFontaine Oliver. The executive editor of The Daily Dose is Danielle Irby. Stay healthy, stay sane, and stand together. I'm Sarah Y. Kim. Thanks for listening.